0: January 23rd, 2021 is a lot for Pedro show. Pedro Show. Happy Saturday, happy Well, let's let's tell uh, people what we heard. That was John Coltrane with After the Rain, and maybe it's kind of still during the rain. It's a little rainy here in Pedro still. Then we had uh, All Souls with Beverly, and uh, yeah, Brother Matt at the Love Grotto on the Pledge Point here a couple miles south, because quit quarantine mode still, but I am not totally man alone, people. Because those software engineers in Estonia with their righteous Skype invention, I got Meg Castellanos Welcome aboard, Meg. Thank you. It's an honor. Now, uh, Meg, where are you talking to me from?
1: I'm talking to you from Boyle Heights. Boyle just
0: Heights, right. of the
1: L.A. River, Los Angeles.
0: And people, yeah, Boyle Heights, East L.A., also known yep. in a way. And a uh, lot of history, a lot of different kinds of peoples. There used to be a, a few versions of the Vex Club. Yep. And uh, so Minutemen <laughs> got, well, some noise over there. Minutemen got to uh, play.
1: In, uh, Was that on... Um, Cesar Chavez or Brooklyn
0: Avenue? I think it was called Sunset then. But, yeah, they renamed that part Cesar Chavez. Yeah. yeah. yeah but uh, what was his name? Joe, right? Joe Vex. That's how, yeah. how we knew him. And he had it in a couple places. And, and, in fact, one turned into a cultural center that I later played with Dose with uh, Ian's band with his wife, Amy. Evans. Evans. I did a gig with Dose and Evens at a repurposed version of the Vex into mm-hmm. a cultural set. Yeah, I was so bitching to see. Because, you know, a lot of pads, when they go through their phase, they're gone forever. But this right. this, this did. This had a... Sp- Whoa, some noise over there. Cayete. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was it was bitching to see that again, that it, the chain hadn't been broken. It just took a different form, and they were still... There was young people there learning stuff and, uh, you know, the, the DIY ethic, right? It kept going. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, the one, one of the last, actually the last show that all souls played was at this place called the Paramount ballroom, Oh yeah. which is upstairs. Um, and that was the Vex for a little while. Yeah, yeah, all I remember. the old posters are on the wall. Still. yeah I remember, I remember.
0: Yeah. Loading your gear was kind of shitty, but I still, <laughs> I, <laughs> I still like playing. Uh, I haven't seen Joe Vex in many years, but man, uh, we played all four of them. I think Oh, uh, different places somewhere right by downtown, uh, uh, right under the freeway, but then somewhere more East LA. But let's get to your, your musical journey, Meg. What's your earliest Uh, musical recollection memory?
1: You know, it's interesting because I, I I consider myself more of a performer than a musician because that's my background. So, uh, you know, music definitely influenced what i was doing but i started off as a figure skater so i did that my whole childhood um and my dad owned a nightclub so that was a big influence on me too so he had this place in the middle of the disco era in the 70s called rc's lounge which was his initials and uh, they had live music um mostly regional bands would come through And it also was a disco So I was, you know, really I was a child of the 70s So super into Donna Summer And then early rap Like Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five And all that stuff Um, You know, roller skating was a big thing back then But um, my dad had uh, this band called the Tavars play That was the biggest thing ever to happen for his club They were on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack With More Than a Woman was their biggest hit so I got to hang out at his club a lot and see how live music worked, you know, at a very early age and just absorb all that. And um, there was this one all-girl group that I thought were badass that would play. And so that was my earliest um, influences was just sort of sitting at my dad's disco watching these bands play. What about, at, I,
0: what about at home? Was there any instruments?
1: Nope. Okay. Nope. I was skating. I was skating on ice. Right, and, right, right. Uh, my dad did give me an acoustic guitar and just like any first song you ever learned, Smoke on the Water, like I had an ear for it. So I could pick things out and, you know, just I just wasn't really interested in playing until I got to college. So yeah, my <clears throat> background was more like skating and dance and
0: uh oh, yeah. Can I can I ask you about grade school? Were you in the choir or Marching banners. Yeah, like that.
1: well, you know, every kid had to take recorder at my school, yeah, yeah. so uh, that I was should, my first instrument. Tell,
0: I should <laughs> tell people, recorder ain't a tape recorder; it's a kind of a, a diatonic flute.
1: That's right.
0: Usually plastic.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think uh we played Nadia's theme, which was Nadia Comaneci. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: sure, sure, sure. Romanian <laughs> should
1: uh, be a big hit on the radio back then.
0: Romanian uh, gymnast.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So okay, okay. Well, I always ask that because uh, Meg, some schools get rid of their fucking uh, music and arts program. Yeah,
1: so. you know, and and you're reminding me too. Music was a big thing in my school, and uh, I grew up in Massachusetts on Cape Cod. It's like pretty nautical area, and you know, lots of whaling happened off Nantucket. You know, way back when. But there's, you know, it's kind of like fishing village. And um, we learned sea shanties in school, so that was kind of a big thing for us back then.
0: You know, the shanties were important because uh, to coordinate the, you know, you had to pull them. Them, them sails were heavy, and to pull, yeah. them, coordinate the tugging on the rope, they used right. the. Yeah, they were kind of work songs.
1: Yes, they were work songs. So that had an influence for sure. Um, so, but, so how long? You know, were, I,
0: how long were you there? Because you, you were talking East LA, and now. Yeah, I'm here in Cape Cod. So Cape Cod was before East L.A. Right?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in a little town called Falmouth on Cape Cod and uh, went to college in Boston. So I left home when I was um, 17, went to school uh, right near Kenmore Square uh, art school called Emerson College. And um you know, we were right next to the Rat Ratskeller, and so that's when the whole punk rock and goth and uh, that influence entered into my life. I mean, I was already listening to a lot of bands, you know, from the 80s, like, I would love the Clash and Devo and B fifty twos and the cure and stuff like that. Do, too. Um but it wasn't until I got to Boston where I was starting to go to see shows and uh it was pretty it was pretty live. It was pretty wild, you know, like all ages shows were happening, so we got to go to see a lot of stuff that was happening in Boston.
0: There was a club there called the Channel and uh oh, Man, yeah, Miniman got it. to play uh, with Husker Doo there, and they were only only Sundays, Sundays because it was uh, yep, that's yeah. That's right. And they're kind of a matinee thing. Yep. And the, yep. Um, I
1: saw but, Iggy Pop there at the Channel probably back in about eighty seven or so.
0: It ended up burning down, and then uh, Minutemen played a lot at the Rat too. You said Rat's Killer. that was yeah. yeah. Oh my god!
1: So, I wish I saw you there. So,
0: so Meg, you yep. end up on bass. How'd that happen?
1: <laughs> I blame Kim Deal for that. <laughs> Yeah, I saw the Pixies play really early on at um, the Paradise in Boston, and that was probably like 89 or so. And um, I stood right in front of her and just was like, I don't know, man, she had something. Um, And it just felt like something I could do. So it was that night I was like, I'm moving to California and I'm going to start a band. I didn't even know how to play. I just knew that I was going to make that happen somehow. And I did. Um, But it was sort of a winding road in order to get to where I actually started playing. But, you know, I lived in houses and apartments all with, you know, dudes who had instruments lying around. There's always a bass lying around. So that was the thing that I gravitated to. I would just, you know, pick, pick one up and learn how to play a fugazi riff or something like that. And I knew I had an ear for it, but I just didn't really know how to get started. You know, I just felt like music was way more complicated and I needed to study. But when I got to San Francisco in nineteen ninety, I started uh, put I had this big warehouse space and uh, we started putting on shows. I would produce them and book the bands and have dance performances and art gallery openings and stuff. And um, I just started getting more immersed in the rock scene and just going to rehearsal spaces with my friends and starting to play. And that's how it started.
0: What was the first bass you got?
1: That was um, my friend, my roommate, Eli, gave me, it was like a Hoffner knockoff, a Japanese (laughs) knockoff of a Hoffner. Like a Beatle bass? Yes, the Beatle bass. In your first stamp? um i think it was a galleon kruger
0: okay because you know, i'm a little biased towards base you know so i want to know <laughs> I'm always curious yeah about this.
1: that that base got stolen though and i ended up getting this really weird looking it was a custom salona and it was a three-quarter scale it fit me really well because i'm kind of small And uh, everybody, anywhere I went to play that thing, people just came up to the stage and were like, what the hell is that? It was all one long piece of wood, uh, blonde, really beautiful, like a nice shape to it. So I played that for many, many years, um, and then I switched over to Mesa Boogie Amps, and then finally, uh, I play a Rickenbacker now.
0: Petaluma the base of boogies uh, chicken, yeah. ch- chicken capital of California. What was the first gig that you played in front of people working the base? Say that again. The first gig you did work in the base in front of people.
1: Oh, first gig. Um, I would have to say that was okay. So before Tony Moshi, I was in this band called Valley fever and it was sort of like a circus rock band with Tony and a couple of other guys. And um, that was a warehouse party in San Francisco.
0: And was it was a success.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it was because there were you know there were people in the audience that I really respected that were sort of checking us out with their arms folded and you know stroking stroking
0: stroking on the chin right stroking the chin Meg I want to play uh,
1: Marcella right Marcella.
2: like I was really getting towards Alzheimer's. I was hoping it wasn't Alzheimer's. But I was finding myself repeating myself very often, just in a normal conversation. And I felt that I better do something to help with my memory. My daughter is the one that came up with this program here. One of my sons drove me over for the first time to find out what it was about, because he wanted to see it too what all was involved in it. This was actually not too long ago and I thought it was quite interesting and decided to register and keep on coming back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you know what? It has helped me. Since I've been coming here, I have not noticed any further deterioration of my memory. Nothing I can detect anyway. I'm satisfied.
3: This is, this this is a, a stream between me and the mountain. Probably about the same distance away as this stream here. Hundred yards, most. and it uh, was kind of tinkling away.
0: watch for Pedro Show Yeah, Maricela From Alma Sangue. Left foot, right foot <laughs> From Model <coughs> Home Brand new uh, record from Model Home A great uh, band out of D.C. Uh, Nap and Pat Emika um, Levy Le- 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 uh, She's got a new thing Change Baggy Satisfied by David Greenberger and Paul Sabar, Tamara Sound. Um, off the Spring from Hans Rotten in Switzerland. Foodie from Osaka with Nano. Uh, Dustin Wong. He's in Cape Town these days, huh? Beyonder. Bow must pre- print in from the DC area, not at home. Uh, Gaws Like Me. No, Gaws Like, not me. <laughs> I added that fuck. From Dosa Drone out of Belfast. And then finally, Alma Sagre again, uh, La Loma. You know, the town next to Pedro, well, one of them. La Mita, right? L- L- Little Hill. So, what 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 is this Amasangre?
1: Amasangre was a project that my husband Tony and I started. We really wanted to do something different after Tony Moshi uh, wound down. And we'd always talked about using my dance background. Um, I'm I've been studying flamenco dancing for a long time. And I wanted to do the rhythm. I mean, not just play the bass, but uh, when you wear flamenco shoes, they have little nails tapped into the bottom of them. So similar to tap, but much stronger. And um,
0: that's because it's really percussive. It's almost like the rhythm. It's a section. percussion, yeah, yeah so it's part it's of the rhythm section. The sections.
1: percussion of flamenco. So I also got a cajon, which is one of those drums that you sit on. It's like a box. The box. <laughs> yeah, and it's got um, snare strings. You know, so it's got a little bit of a rattle, nice rattle to it. And so I um, was kind of the, I mean, Tony was obviously the front person because he sang in Spanish, played the uh, flamenco guitar. and um, But I was kind of front and center in that band because I would get up off my, my cajon and, and dance and do the rhythms. And uh, it was very kind of... Can I ask you a trippy question? Sure. When you danced doing
0: flamenco, did you smile? No. Yeah, because you know I seen in the old Jewish part of Sevilla. I was there with Stooges. We had days off, um, and this lady, kind of Moorish-looking lady, and no smiling. <laughs> it was like, no,
1: there's not a lot of smiling. In yeah, much. it
0: was it there's, really there's intense. There's one
1: dance um, called Alegría, which is more upbeat and happy. Right, right. And Ooh. we smile during that one, or we smile when we dance Sevillanas, which is the folk partner dance that is often done out in the streets. Um, But no, when you're performing flamenco, you sort of embody sorrow.
0: Yeah, right. It's kind of like a blues, right?
1: Exactly. The the
0: singer man was uh, from Cordoba and, and you could just tell, you know, with his palms to the sky and just, you know, singing his heart out this, this kind of sadness.
1: Yep. And
0: De Boone was a huge fan of flamenco. In fact, oh, this guy, wow. Roy Mendez Lopez, who taught him it, you know, this guy lived in his car and shit, right? Really, Cano, but he was like, practice, practice. And De D- Boone just fell in love with flamenco. And when I got to see some of that, not the kitsch stuff, but this real, uh, no amplifiers, you know, it was all it was, acoustic. It was incredible. It was incredible. Oh. Uh, so, well, look, if I'm out of order, let's start with Todi Moshi.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so that was a band that we had. We started that in 1997 and we, you know, we speaking of Ikano, we loved I actually just rewatched it this morning, we Jam Ikano. We kind of based our band um, you know, kind of off, off of your guys' ethic. I mean, we just went out and started touring Uh, you know, we'd do these like six weeks across the country in a van, sleeping at rest stops, sleeping on people's floors. I mean, we just, we hit it hard. We would do like full, uh, U.S. tours at least two or three times a year. And, uh, you know, I mean, we made nothing. We just, anything we made went in the gas tank. Um, but that's how we built it up. You know, we, we did that for many years and we were on various labels, and we had a lot of friends that got, you know, a good level of success that would invite us invite us on tours with them. So we did a lot. We were able to get to Europe and Canada and did ton of touring across the States and ended up doing some pretty big shows and working with some pretty great producers, and that's how we met Toshi.
0: Yeah, where did the name come from?
1: <laughs> um, that came from Tony. He... He heard his mom say something about something that sounded like Todimoshi but it wasn't. So it's kind of a made up name. Okay. And you, you know, know, when you choose a name that nobody can pronounce, <laughs> it's uh it's kind of a detriment to your band and and being able to promote yourself. A so we bit. often got labeled like from Japan. <laughs>
0: <All right. laughs> what, what what was the first Todimoshi gig? Um
1: that one was in North Beach in San Francisco at this place called the Cocodry, which used to be called Morty's before that. And, um, yeah, that was the first gig. It was probably like a five-band bill, and I stood like a statue. I was just glued to staring at my bass because I couldn't take my eyes off of it yet.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> so it was different than the, uh, the the Valley gig?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that one, you know, we were more we were angry. We were way more metal. We, uh, we started that band in Oakland and I think we were pretty influenced by a lot of the metal that was going on in Oakland at that time. So Tony did a lot of screening back in those days. And, um, it was just heavier, louder, uh, and, you know, really fun to play because you get your aggressions out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like kind of a, you're saying like kind of a therapy,
1: yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Why not? Or, or a pressure relief <laughs> valve. Right?
1: Exactly. That's what it felt like.
0: And uh, so, yeah, you got into the torn. Yeah, when you ain't playing, you're paying, right? Exactly. Yeah, So lo- yeah,
1: and we kind of set up our lives to be able to just hit the road, too, you know. So we would sock some money away. Um, I'm also a massage therapist, so, you know, I work for myself, basically. So I would just work and work and work you know, put some money aside and then hit the road. And, you know, we had a slew of drummers. I lost count. We were in the double digits, but people didn't last very long with us. I mean, we had some that lasted longer than others. But I think when you're in a band with a couple and a three piece, especially, you might feel like you're the odd man out, unfortunately. And as inclusive as we tried to be, you know, people have issues. They have families. They have drug problems they move on you know so um, we tried to keep that together but it was it was a challenge
0: with the, the 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 third part because a drummer yeah. rock and roll the drummer is very important,
1: right? It is important, and you know, amazingly enough, we were able to get some really great players there. I mean, some not so good, obviously, but
0: but but you uh, know really ones. Yeah, but it's not play. only the playing, right? You got to have a, a personality that can deal with that kind of torn and stuff like
1: that. Well, that's just as important as far as we're concerned, because no, no, I, believe you. I believe you, Meg. You know, you. and back in those days, we're we're sharing a room we have dogs on we brought our big dogs we had a pit bull and a golden retriever we brought those dogs (laughs) with us everywhere we went so i mean sometimes we're it's not just our band in a room it's our band the other band the merch person and (laughs) two dogs in in a two queen (laughs) hotel room so you better like the people that you're traveling with
0: yeah we're at the end of the first hour january 23rd 2021 edition white peter so Special guest Meg Castellanos. Hold we'll tight for hour two. January twenty third, twenty twenty one. It's the second hour of the What for Pedro show. Mm-hmm. Pedro, shall we start off the second hour with El Co- uh, Cortito. El haven't. Cortito. Yeah, Cortito. <laughs> well, i get it together. <laughs> I remember, you know, I came from Virginia when I was like nine. And uh, in Davy Housing over uh, over there, uh, I knew some Filipino and Puerto Rico, but uh, Mexican, it was new for me and uh, mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I fell in love with the chow and the culture, everything, and Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I still fuck up the pronunciation so i'm so I'm so sorry so, I, okay, Sam Ben after that uh and he he he's been living in tokyo twenty five years so he he could have joined To <laughs> <laughs> uh in something Brazilian right uh, de- de-sa iso pra la, and he had to like phonetically get this uh, Sam Locke from Iowa City after that we are the workers, we the workers fucked up Maggie Jordan. Bajorndund with Walkin. Morty out of Poland with Western Motel. Talking about that motel room. Uh, 06 <laughs> from Toleman Dietrich. John Dietrich from Deerhoof. Great guitar man. Hi Maya. Amplified for char- uh, Clarity. <laughs> Charity. Old Days from Cleveland. And finally, Moshi, The Seeing Eye. So I got all the fucking songs out of order. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> about that. So, uh, how long did Todi Moshi last?
1: We went from '97 to about 2012.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. That's 15
1: years. Yeah, about 15 years.
0: And 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 what 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 pulled the plug? Well, you guys probably. <laughs>
1: No, um okay, so we decided to move to Los Angeles. And our drummer came with us, which was great. I mean, he actually moved out from Kansas City to try out for Todi Moshi and he joined the band, moved out to uh San Francisco Bay Area and we did that for a while. And then um we decided to pick up and move to LA. And, you know, it was hard. Uh, all of us had to move and we had to start over Um, and starting over when you're 40 it's uh, it's a little bit of a challenge but um, Tony got a, a job opportunity but that actually fell through and we had already planned to move so we're like you know what fuck it we're just gonna we're gonna do it we're gonna we loved Los Angeles and we loved the music scene down here. And we had a lot of friends down here. So, um, Buzz from the Melvins, uh, we had done some touring with them and he offered Tony a job doing, um, guitar teching with them. So as soon as we got down to LA, Tony left to tour with the Melvins and, um, he started doing tour managing stuff. So he was traveling quite a bit with, um, the Melvins and uh, Sleep and Neurosis and bands like that. And um, we continued Todimoshi. I think we did another album down here. And then our drummer just couldn't, Figure out how to make a living. He didn't have a car. I think that was the the biggest problem. You have oh, in SoCal,
0: in right? SoCal, yeah. you need yeah. you have team. to have a
1: car. <laughs> so he was taking the train down to like a Borders Books in Long Beach, and I mean, he was just miserable. So he ended up moving back to Kansas City. So that's when we decided. You know what? It just feels like we're kicking a dead horse at this point. I mean, the last tour that we did was it was kind of a disaster it just our booking agent had um you know he said everything's cool you know you got all these dates and then when it came time to leave it wasn't cool you know what I mean like a lot of the dates weren't booked and the turnout was not that great and so you know at that point in your career we had done some really high profile tours and you know when you come back home and you do a shitty tour it's just it's kind of a It's kind of a blow. So, you know, we decided we didn't decide to pack it in per se, but we just sort of put it on hold. And uh, Chris moved back to Kansas City. That's when we started Alma Sangre. And we just shifted our attention and started doing um, this acoustic thing, which was completely different because we got to play these art galleries. We played in like Spanish restaurants um, we played a couple of clubs, but that wasn't the focus. We wanted, you know, it was quiet. We could play anywhere. And I really liked that change. And I liked being able to to get back into my dancing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, when things go screwy, you improvise and you use exactly. your strengths. So all that stuff you invested in. Yep. Okay, yeah. I want to play, uh, in honor of Totemoshi, let's play one more song. <laughs> the Dance of the Snakes. Oh, cool.
4: So the dance begins, the gods are beckoning, formulating messages in tone. The shake, the quivering, the snake, the slithering, quantum is the answer as we sneak across the brain cells. the let's all forgotten now the truth inside us all the keepers of a miracle stole by lettersger sewing
5: i watch
2: early your love of gardening began. Is is that right?
6: I should have been a gardener. Um, I don't know why it wasn't, I suppose, that no one in my world, my parents' world, thought of gardening as an occupation, really, that uh, a a schoolboy might take up. Um, And I'd forgotten about it, but I had kept all my gardening implements. I gardened.
2: How were you, given, when did you first garden? Who said garden? Did you say, I want
6: to garden? I think I said it first in Villa Quassa, in Lago Maggiore, when I was four. And, uh, and I was absolutely entranced by this place the sunlight after an English RAF station, Avenues of Camellias. It was a house which was requisitioned on, on the lake. And um, I think it's there. I, I've got some film. And I'm picking geraniums. <laughs> did you want to be an artist? Yes, I wanted to be a painter. I never wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, that happened by accident, but I'd always wanted to be a painter. What sort of painter were you? What well, sort of stuff did you do? Well, I, I pottered through all the isms, you know, all the isms you could imagine, cubism and dashism, and I finally caught up with sort of just straightforward English landscape painting, and I found myself down at Kills, uh in North Somerset, where my aunt lived, just painting fields way, these rather old-fashioned paintings and the first ones I recognize as my own. Um, and then, of course, I went to the slate, and it was the modern movement. It was, you know, America, we all had to grapple with that. Did you, did you grapple happily? Not particularly, no. I found myself quite uh, nervous. I realized I wasn't a very good draftsman, although actually the slate gave me... Distinctive drafts I think they must have not been looking. <laughs> uh, when did you first design for the theatre um, or for film? I, I started actually out of the slate because you had to do a subsidiary, and uh, Nicholas Georgiardis was teaching there, and uh, and I thought, well, with my university upbringing, you know, where I had been involved in, the, in college theatre, and a good thing to do. Um, so I went in there and, and did theatre design as a subsidiary, but I, with no idea that I would actually ever. I mean, when I was at the Slade, I thought I would end up teaching in a school somewhere. I mean, that was, that was the, the length of one's ambition, really.
2: You designed for the Royal Ballet, you designed Jazz Calendar, and you designed for Ken Russell's movies. How did
6: that happen? Well, it happened because of um, I put some theatre designs for the uh, prodigal son of uh, Prokofiev into the Biennale in Paris, and Lord um, Lloyd's house. It was very you know, the
1: Oh my god, they were so good. They were very proggy. I think they toured with Jethro Tull.
0: <laughs> yeah. People were talking about this 70s band called Carmen. And they they kind of tried to bridge Flamenco and rock and roll, but Meg's flamenco teacher was one of these cats. <laughs> yeah, I actually world. really like Carmen. People
1: yeah. should check that
0: out. And they they had some dancing, you know, for the percussion. In fact, it was like micro. uh it was part of the sound, right? They had, like, yes. pickups on this uh, little stage at the, at the Yeah, day. so,
1: yeah, how you, you usually mic the stage when you uh, mic flamenco. Yeah, So yeah. the the dancers can be heard.
0: Sure, absolutely. And, and another big thing that people don't realize, uh, because a lot of this, it's not just uh, the Moorish in Spanish, but there's also a gypsy thing, and they got their families, and they do the hand clapping,
1: yeah, the, the, yeah that's those. called palmas
0: palmas so right absolutely palmas, yeah and
1: there's a so whole... yeah there's, there's different ways to do it um but that's a big part of the percussion of flamenco and that's also helping the dancers stay in time you absolutely. know people in the background will be will be clapping right right and um yeah that's that's cool stuff i'm so stoked that you know of that yeah
0: i told you the Boone was way in it. there's a song on double nickels uh he took from La Linda, which is an old flamenco song. The Doors oh. did too, right? Turned into Spanish Caravan. Oh, that's right, right. Uh, I should tell the people what we just heard The Dance Snakes, Totemboshi. And then here and then, uh, Troopa Troopa from Poland. Don the Tiger. La Decima Quinta Fibre de Arturo Veles. And uh, sorry, again, people. Uh, Aruba Avua with the uh, Serkau. That's Portuguese. I fucked that up too. but <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm an equal opportunity fucker upper of language. <laughs> not, not on purpose though, because I have big respect. Gareth Sager of that miniature 20. Gareth from the pop group. Uh, Alessandra Novaga from Italy with a, I should have been a gardener. And finally, Silence from All Souls. So when was the first All Souls gig? Huh. First All
1: Souls gig. I'm blanking out, but we started in um, 2017. Oh, I think um, we we went up to San Francisco. We played the independent, um, which used to be called the Kennel Club. Oh,
0: before that, it was the uh, VIS Club. And it, it was only one. Uh, they didn't knock out the overhead I played there on Divisadero, right? Yeah, right exactly. By the Church of St. John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. And a Brother-in-Law's number two, Great Ribs, at, at one time.
1: Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. No, 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 no. There's a parallel thing going. You, you still got uh, uh, Ama sangre going. Why you're yep. doing All Souls? So All Souls, you want it to be like a rock and roll way of doing gigs, right? Yeah,
1: we 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 missed rocking out. So um, Tony actually did another another band. Um, they 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 never released an album but um that kind of fell apart that was with i don't know if you remember a band called 400 blows ferdy sure. the drummer christian yeah.
0: cription walk pedro
1: yes and that's ferdy right. on
0: the drums a, a filipino guy a great you know drummer okay man.
1: so funny enough um me and tony christian and ferdy we were jamming for a while after tony moshi wound down and um we were going to start a band <laughs> but christian has a family and um He pretty much stopped playing music.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. He left Pedro.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, Ferdy and Tony started a band um, with another guy uh, called Last Days of Ancient Sunlight. And they were doing that for a while. They put out a pretty cool video, and they had some good songs. They played around. But um, that kind of fell apart. And then we started All Souls. And um, so we knew Tony Tornay forever, because Faso Jetson and Tony Moshi used to play together. Sure, sure. Mario yeah, and worship, you know, that band and loved. I mean, we would always be like, "Oh man, if we could only get a drummer like Tony Tornay," <laughs> then we but got you him. You know what?
0: F- 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 ferdy's good too, though, man. I, I-, he I is really, really like good. I like ferdy Look, we're at the end of the second hour, uh, January twenty third, twenty twenty one. Dish Watt Pio show special guest Matt Castellanos. Hold tight for hour three. January twenty third, twenty twenty one. It's the third hour of the lot. Wat- Pedro Show. For Pedro Show, we start the third hour off with of All Souls. Do a Never Know. Exploded View. Something Dirk Vandenberg put together. I could only play a little excerpt because the recording was so bad. Crane and Mark Tamberovich was part of it. They only did one gig. Gold mines after that double snap. Ella Dreams of Circuses from David Gerard, Steve Dews, and Todamoshi. <laughs> Flashback. <laughs> Make your day. Now, I didn't I didn't get you to finish your first gig. You guys drive up to the city, right? And you do a The first All Souls gig?
1: Yeah, that might have been the second one now that I'm remembering. The first one was in um, the Arts District uh, at one of the clubs over there. So that was the very first one. But yeah, I think our second one was up at the Old Channel, the Independent. And we were traveling with a couple of other bands, uh, our friends in this band called Torch. And they invited us to open a couple of gigs with them uh, in California, so we kind of hit the road right away.
0: I, I cool. saw it the, uh, open for Boris. They were kind of a heavy, yeah, yeah, okay,
1: fudgy, but kind of poppy too.
0: Yeah, so also, but with All Souls, you were going to definitely try something different than Totemoshi.
1: Yeah, so because we were focused more on the vocals and actually singing in Alma Sangre, because Tony was singing and his voice was really up front you know there's nothing to hide behind when you're playing acoustic so um he was super into this singer called uh chabela vargas which was a like a ranchera singer and his voice changed and um, the vocals became way more important and we wanted to do something that was more catchy and um we wanted to bring in another guitar player and have the two guitars feed off one another, um, harmony, stuff like that. So um, All Souls was very premeditated. And we chose to work with uh, musicians that we had traveled with, we knew we got along with, um, but that we really respected their playing. Um, so that's how All Souls formed. Um, you know, we kind of had an idea that we wanted to be. Darker, you know, like influences from the birthday party and Nick cave, but we also love the cure, um, the pixies, you know, we want it to to be like memorable. Like you hear us and it kind of bores into your head. So that song that you played, never know, like that's super catchy. And, um, you know, it's long though. It's like a seven minute song. So we're still, we're still jamming out and it's very guitar forward, but it, our songs are a little bit more poppy than uh, Tody Moshi ever was.
0: D- did any songs c- carry over? Does All Souls do any Tody Moshi? Nope. Nope. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Because I have another Tody Moshi song to play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucked up. I should have put it, found out about the order. But, I, you know, I remember talking with Tony. Now it's all coming back to me. I'm such an idiot.
1: No, well, you talk to a ton of people. I mean, I know I how know, you keep anything straight.
0: Yeah, but you deserve a Oh, I mean, Jesus. Uh, but anyway, this is forever in bone los dos. The story defies
4: understanding. A coming to life underground, crawling to find, frozen with time, the mother since passed away A life you could only imagine A sun you will never see Follow your mind Follow your kind Swallow what's given away to wander, Never to roam Never to sit right beside her You are Forever in bone Imagine a sun you will never see. Follow your mind, follow your kind. Swallow what's given.
7: Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Peter, show last music for this edition. Forever in Bone, Los Dos, Moshi, Out of order. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do Moshi anymore, people. It's All Souls. And I'm a uh, Mike Cooper after that, Las uh, Balsas. Uh, Tim, a whole house with Artistic. And finally, Death Becomes Us. All souls. Talk about dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so What's the process? How do you, how does all souls write a song? Does Tony bring it to you?
1: Yeah. So a lot of the kernel of the music comes from Tony. Um, he'll come with up with riffs or actually Tony Tornay will bring in some riffs too. And um, we'll sit in the studio and flesh it out. And um, I'm going to call Antonio, my husband, Tony, I mean, call him Antonio so we can keep it separate. Okay. Uh, so Antonio will, will write a lot of the music, but then he'll just have phonetics as vocals. And then sometimes if I feel like I want to take on the lyrics to a song, I'll write the lyrics or he'll write the lyrics. But, you know, we, we share a lot of the writing responsibilities, but I would say a lot of the, the songwriting comes from Antonio, from, from Tony Aguilar.
0: Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you, is there an outlet for like Meg Castellanos uh, songwriting?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I I feel like I contribute in the studio as far as bass lines. And there are certain things that I brought in, like Make Your Day, for instance, in Todi Moshi. Like, I had a, a good part of writing that. Um, you know, there's there's stuff uh, from, you know, Death Becomes Us. I wrote the lyrics for that. I wrote the lyrics for Reveille. So, um, you know, I, I consider myself a little bit of a writer. And that's, I would say I contribute that way, but also a lot with the aesthetic, like, you know, with uh, how we look on stage and our album covers and um, video. So I play a big part in the aesthetics of, um, you know, how we're putting ourselves out there.
0: But, you know, all souls, it's, it's, it's full of you. You don't need like a, a solo band, a solo project.
1: No, no, it's, it's, it serves as an outlet for a lot of um, different sides of my creativity.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, to have a a situation like that is so bitching, so you don't have to, yeah, be all like, uh, cutting to pieces. Uh, Yeah, and
1: especially during the lockdown, the pandemic, it's like, uh, we put out an album in the middle of all this, we put out two videos. Um, and we're writing our next album, so it's great to have an outlet right now because there's no shows.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got to be all like, uh, kind of what the uh, what c-word content.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the yeah. p-word
0: perform right now is a little postponed, but it's, it's going to come back. We just got to get some more vaccines in the arms.
1: <laughs> I got the first one.
0: You did great. Yep. Fuck. Yeah, Diva, happening. Well. Uh, I remember Tony talking about the record. And in fact, the situation kind of bears on the material, right?
1: Yes. So it's called the the second record of All Souls is called Songs for the End of the World. And, you know, we wrote that before I I came up with the title and we, we named it well before the pandemic, Um, you know, because as you know, when you write music and get an album together, it takes sometimes a year before it can be released out into the world. So we were really focused on like what was happening with that idiot in office for the last four years and um, the climate, you know, so there was a lot of heavy themes going on that we were having to contend with before the pandemic even showed up. Um, So we were writing about that, really, and addressing the political situation. Um, So, but yeah, titling it Songs for the End of the World when the pandemic hit, it was like, holy shit, (laughs) it just, it fit the time so well.
0: A little, a little prophetic.
1: Yeah, and especially the song Death Becomes Us. I mean, it's like a funeral dirge. And, um, you know, I also I, I lost both my parents like within six months of each other during that, but like after I wrote that. So it was sort of, it was kind of prophetic,
0: yeah. actually. That's the trippy thing about music. It connects a lot of things. It can.
1: Yeah, it yeah. Can.
0: It's uh, true. What about a young woman, wanting to get in a rock and roll uh, a little bit younger than you or just starting or something, what what advice, Meg, would you give?
1: I would just say, you know, be yourself because people are attracted to originality. And if you are just completely um, doing what comes from within, you're going to inspire somebody or a lot of people. But, you know, if you end up copying other people, it's just, it's not as important. I mean, some people get away with it and that's how they get popular too because they're just doing something that connects or that people are familiar with. But I mean, like looking at bands like what you did with the Minutemen, I mean, nobody sounds like you guys. Nobody since has come along that has done anything like what you guys did. And I think that's what sets bands like you apart. You know, it's like, it's just so from the heart. And you guys started out not even really knowing how to play your instruments to becoming like super accomplished. Um, but you just dug in, you know, and I think that's that's kind of what you need to do.
0: That's good advice. But I, I got to tell you, we did have a lot of influence, but we thought yeah. that the best respect would not be really copied. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, you know, you set out to do something great. So you have to look at the greats in order to be able to even try to emulate that. That's for sure.
0: Oh, you're very, very wise, man. It's been such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks. So oh, much. Pleasure, I know pleasure. You guys are probably working on another record, right?
1: Yeah, we are. So, um, we have a new guitar player. Um, Eric decided to bow out, uh, at the beginning, middle of last year so we've got this new guy named matt price and he's a burner he's a ripper so we're really looking forward to you know recording with him uh we got to get back in the studio with toshi as soon as possible he just had a baby yesterday by the way
0: oh well, <laughs> Toshi. That, that means congratulations uh anyway when you get it done please let me hear it link come back on the show and let's talk about it hell yeah okay meg People, it's been January 23rd, 2021. A Dishwap Pedro show. Keep your powder dry.